glad you are here uh, on this, the fourth Sunday in Advent. Uh, and uh, sometimes we think of it's this in the evangelical church as uh, Christmas, uh, Christmas Sunday. So I'm just going to say, Merry Christmas. Good, excellent. We're going to say that again on, uh, when we uh, celebrate together on Christmas Eve. Uh, and, and as you've already heard, um, I'm going to cough. <coughs> um, we have been celebrating through the Advent season of preparing. We talked about peace and we talked about hope and we talked about joy last week. And uh, this Sunday is love. And so before we get into that, I just kind of want to give you a, a little bit uh, of a heads up about the preaching schedule. Uh, in January, I'm going to kick off a new uh, preaching series. Um, next slide. Uh, that, that is all about uh, love. Uh, and it, it's, it's called The Father's Heart is Love. And it's, it, we're going to walk through uh, 1 John uh, together. So if you want to read 1 John, that'd be really great to prepare yourselves. Uh, but we're going to talk about, about our Heavenly Father and how His heart is all about love. Amen? Uh, so uh, this Sunday, however, we're going to continue this series with It's, it's a Wonderful uh, Life. Uh, and I want to kind of set up the thing that illustrates love. You'll remember the story. Uh, I hope you've all watched the movie at this point. Um, that George Bailey kind of starts out with all these aspirations about what he wants to do and how he wants to live and the things he wants to go on and accomplish and see. Um, like we all are when we're young. Remember when you were young and had dreams? For those of you who are my age. You know? <laughs> um, uh, so, and, and of course it doesn't go quite like that. You know, things go wrong and he keeps getting pulled back into this building and loan that that helps people get their first home, which is so important financially and emotionally and all of those, those sorts of things. And then, of course, you, we saw the, the clip where um, it's Christmas Eve and the bank examiner shows up and his kind but not too bright brother loses $8,000 and so there's going to be a big missing component in the books and somebody's going to go to jail and basically George Bailey loses hope. He loses hope and wants to kill himself, wishes he hadn't been born uh, and, and God sends to him an angel to kind of help him through that process and so by grace does something that is both hard and wonderful and that is he shows him what his life would be like if he'd never been born and how the ways that God had used him uh, in, the, in the world around him. Uh, and, and so then that kind of turns around. He turns the corner. He prays, you know, about it. And, and I, I want to live. He discovers that this new thing. And last week we looked at joy and, and just the joy of discovering life in Christ and discovering God's plan for your life and, and all that God wants to, to do in you. Uh, and so this Sunday we take it to the next step because the whole thing is predicated on this idea that what George Bailey thinks he needs is not what he really needs. It starts out with he needs to travel, he needs to do, get an education, he needs to, all of those sorts of, of things. Uh, and then he, he thinks that he needs money, he needs this $8,000, he thinks that's the biggest need in his life. And, and honestly, if I were in his position, I, I would think the same thing. But the truth of the matter is, money wasn't what he really, really needed. What he needed and what he eventually discovered he had was love. And that's what solved the problem. And so let's, uh, let's watch the clip. Mary! Have you, have you seen my wife? Mary! 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 Daddy! 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 Kids! Pete! Eat you up. <laughs> Where's your mother? She went looking for you with Uncle she... Billy. Daddy! Zozo, Zozo, my little ginger snap. How do you feel? Fine. Not a smidge of temperature. Not a smidge of temperature. 
you need cash. Stop. My office instructed to advance you up to $25,000. Stop. Oh. Hee-haw and Merry Christmas, Sam Wainwright. Oh. sacrifice loving his community. How many of you are teary-eyed? <laughs> I am. I've seen it a lot. All of his life, he sacrificed. And then when he came to the end and he thought he needed money, he thought what he really needed money, but what he really needed was what he had invested in that community, which was love. 
Because in the end, they raised all that money, not because of the money, but because of love for him and what he had done. And so here's what I really want you to get this morning as we jump into this, and that is this. Love is the only thing that really matters. It really is. It's, it's the only thing that, that really matters. All of the other stuff that goes in our lives, almost all of that can be solved or at least dealt with when we live in loving relationship with others. Okay, let me try that again. All of that other stuff can at least be, can be solved or at least dealt with when we live in loving relationship with others. Amen? Love is the only thing that really, really matters. It can deal with all kinds of things. It can deal with financial problems. It can deal with, you know, emotional stuff. It can deal, it can deal with everything. And ultimately, love is the only thing that lasts. Man, all that, all that stuff we gather, that don't last. That's going to go away. How many of you ever had a favorite car that one day became not your favorite car? <laughs> it don't last. It don't last. And one day we're going to check it all back in. And the only thing that goes with this is the ones we loved and we go into relationship with God that we love. And here's the reason for that, and that is this, God is love. <laughs> it's not an attribute of God. You, how many of you learned the omni words, like omnipresent? Anyone know what that means? God is everywhere. Why, you know, the, the God is power, all-powerful, God is all-knowing, God is all, all of those. Those are all attributes of God. But when it comes to love, God is Love. In fact, 1 John says it this way. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Now that's a little scary. Because God, say it, is love. Whenever you experience love, you experience God. In our tradition, we call this prevenient grace. And so we would say that, that God is involved in people's lives all the time. If you have one person you love... You have experienced God's grace in your life. If there's one person that loves you, you have experienced God's grace in your life. Whether you're a believer and a follower of Jesus or not, when you experience love, you experience God. That is God in you, giving you the ability to love someone else. And in fact, if, to kind of help understand by the opposite end of them, if there's a definition of hell, it would be the complete absence of God and therefore the complete absence of love i got to tell you, that scares me more than fire. Because to not be loved and not capable of loving anyone else, that's the most horrific thing I can possibly think of. I, I cannot overstate to you how important this truth is. God is love. And this is foundational to how we see ourselves as a church and how a kind of the, the larger movement that we're a part of uh, sees the world. Uh, and, and there are lots of different ways of seeing this. For us, this is the one thing that cannot be compromised is that God is love. And he calls us to be like him. There are different ways, uh, different traditions within Christianity. Uh, Catholics tend to hold on to the, the most important thing about God is his holiness. And they mean holy other, right? So God is way up here and you're way down here. And Jesus is the mediator, but Jesus is still too far away. So we've got to have, you know, Mary in there to get a little closer to us. And Mary's, you know, pretty special too. So we've got to have saints in there. And then from the bottom we do priests, and, you know, because God is holy. That's, that's their, their single biggest thing, you know. Or, or another common one today is, is kind of what the world what we call Calvinism. Calvinism is great. I love Calvinists. But what they say, the one thing you can't compromise about God is the sovereignty of God, which makes God the judge in all of that. 
And, and, and that's fine. And when Calvinism, the time and place it came, it was wonderful. It was life-giving. But a couple of hundred years after John Calvin, a guy by the name of John Wesley came along and said, you know, God is absolutely sovereign. God is absolutely holy. But the primary way that God represents himself to us is Father. And Father is about love. Amen? God is love. And it takes all of those other kind of ways of thinking about God into account underneath it. I mean, if you're a parent, you insist that your children respect you. Amen? You know? I, I remember, man, I could be disrespectful to my dad. If I was disrespectful to my mom, life as I knew it went away. He would not tolerate that. You know? And, and, and the role of judge. You all, when you're raising kids, you are judge, jury, and executioner. Amen? You know, I mean, it's, it's just a part of it. But it's all done in love. It completely changes the way you understand holiness. If you understand holiness as complete love, it changes the way you understand the judge if you understand it in the context of family rather than the court system. It's, it's, it's different, and it, it's so important to us. And this is a part of what we would, I would say, just for a second to get a little denominational, the Methodist tradition that was born out of John Wesley. In fact, the Church of the Nazarene is the largest Methodist church that doesn't actually have the word Methodist in it, right? That, that, that's, that's, this is who we are. We believe in our souls that God is love, okay? This is who he is uh, in everything. And not only that, we believe uh, that everything God does is done out of love. Everything is done out of love. And, and, and that's, again, back to that parental model. Everything you do for your children is done out of love, okay? Even when you discipline them, you discipline them because you love them, amen? That, that's why we do that, even when it's hard, you know, and, and, and same is true with us with God. You know, when I was growing up, my dad did a lot of stuff I didn't understand, and I was pretty sure he was wrong. And then God's little joke, I had a kid. I saw the light. <laughs> it's like every year as my kids grew up, my dad got smarter and smarter and smarter, you know? It's just, uh, uh, th th this is love. In fact, I would push a little further in and I would say to you, what is not of love is not of God. Because God is love. It's the most important thing. It's the only thing that will last. And, and here's the, the verse that I know it's kind of been taken over by popular society, but it, it's, it's crucial. Uh, and it, it's this, John 3.16. For God, say it, so loved the world. Okay, let's stop right there. So God, is everything he's doing is by love. He's so loved. And the world, who's the world? Yes, who else? Your neighbor, Right? The people you work with, the person that drives you crazy, your enemies, the world. For God so loved you and everybody else that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, even the people that drive you crazy, should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved that he gave to the world. That, that's the heart of it. And, and, and when we talk about this, I always struggle with this because our culture, kind of the word love has been taken over by romantic sorts of things. And, and sometimes when people think about the word love, they think about, you know, a 13-year-old that's just fallen in love for the first time. You know, remember what that was like? 
don't look at me like that. You all, you know, it's like, wow, over the moon, everything's wonderful, right? You know, that, that's not what's being talked. In fact, in some ways, it's almost the opposite uh, of this. I, I would say, and God says, God defined love as self-sacrificing. We heard it this morning. Greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their life for their friend or for the one they love in all of that. It's, it's not infatuation. This is, is giving love. In fact, I'm going to be just a little bit sexist here, but guys, this is manly love, right? And, and I don't know if you've noticed this, women, but, but men love a little differently than, than women do. Yeah, I expected more amens. You are so good. You know? <laughs> so, so often I tell guys the way guys love is they take care of things. They, they provide. They, they protect. And I say to guys all the time, provide for your family. Protect your family. Do whatever it takes. Go get a job. Do, do what it takes. I, I am here to tell you. When that alarm clock goes off at 5 o'clock in the morning and it's pouring rain out there and he's got to work out in the rain and the mess and the muck, he doesn't get up because he has a 14-year-old's understanding of love. He crawls out of bed because he loves his family and he sacrifices for them. And women, you're doing the same thing. I just, it's just easy. I understand guys better than women. Who knew, you know? Um, and, and so I just want, I want to say to you this, for God so loved the world... That's not a warm, fuzzy feeling because it's going to cost him everything to do that. Everything God does is done uh, out, of, uh, out of love. And so um, real love, God's love, does what is in the best interest of the one they love, even at great sacrifice. This is agape love. This is self-sacrificing love. I, I wish I could, I could get this definition of love out there more. It would change our world if we could get this. For God so loved the world that he gave. Is what Next slide. Uh, for God so loved the, the world that he gave. That he gave um, to your neighbor. God loves your neighbor. God loves the people around you. Can I, can I just say this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little political. I'm not terribly political, but I'm going to get a little political. God even loves people in the other political party. <laughs> Somebody going, oh, wait a minute. May have pushed the barrier too far. I think we see this most when we have children. We learn about it. I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but for Jody and I, we, you know, we got married kind of after college, so we're a little bit older, and, and then we waited a number of years to have kids, and I had a really good job with Albertsons, and, and she had a good job teaching. Uh, she was in actually the highest paid school district in Idaho at the time, you know. We bought a house. We had two cars. Life was good. You know, if you needed something, you went and bought it. We were in that double income, no kids stage. Oh, isn't that a wonderful stage? We were the king of our lives. And then Jana came along, and we were no longer in charge of our family anymore. We got up on her schedule. We did what she needed. We took care of her needs and everything. So it is with love, that kind of love that comes from God that puts others first. So let me say it this way. God loves you more than you love your children. And even the one there on the, the far left, I think, for you, or right, whatever it is from that side, far right for you. God loves you more than you love your children. God loves you more than you love your children. How much do you love your children? You would give your life. You would give your life. I tell people all the time, I learned more about God when I had a child than I did in all my years of education, and I had a lot of it. The day she was born, 
that slobbering, smelly, little monkey-like thing. And she was in trouble because of some things that went on. And I found myself saying, Lord, my life still hurts. That's how much. And I've only grown to love her more as she's grown up. God loves me more than that. That's really hard to believe. God loves you more than you love your children. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you more than you love your children. <laughs> Some of you have a hard time believing that, but it is true. Not because you don't love your children enough, but because God's capacity to love is greater than yours. Amen? He, he's God. And, and I realize sometimes it's strained. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I loved my children but didn't particularly like my children, okay? Amen? <laughs> okay? But here's what I know. You have never locked eyes with someone God didn't love more than you love your children. You have never locked eyes with someone God doesn't love more than you love your children. Because we are God's children. We are created in His image. In fact, uh, human beings have a deep, profound spiritual need to love and be loved. And it comes because we are his children. We were created so he could expand his love to us and so that we could experience what it is to be loved. We are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. I love the Imago Dei. If I were to ever get a tattoo, I would get a tattoo that says, Imago Dei, made in the image of God, but I'm a wimp and I don't want to do that. That sounds painful, but I don't have anything against tattoos. I'm just a wimp, okay? And this isn't just an emotional need. This is a spiritual need. This is an important thing in, in our lives. We are made in his image. We are made to, to love like him. In your design specs, which are kept in heaven, there is this built-in need to love others and to be loved. Amen? And, and I'm going to say something now that, especially if you've come from a Calvinist tradition, may challenge you a little bit. But we are his children, all of us, whether you follow Christ or not. Some are far from home and think themselves orphans. They haven't come back home to be in relationship with him. But God is their father. And a part of our job is to remind them that they are not orphans. That they are loved by God. And that he welcomes them home. My favorite story in the New Testament is the story that we often, we often talk about, the prodigal son. But I think a better title for it is the gracious loving father. That he invites us home. Because I, I believe that, that really family is God's love delivery system. It's how he meant for us to experience love. It's how, how he meant for us to learn about love. It, it's how we were meant to experience it for the rest of our lives, that we would live in love with, with other, other people, with, with one another. In fact, there's research now that, that kind of shows that if, if a kid doesn't learn how to love in a family, that for the rest of their lives they'll have love hunger. They, they, they haven't learned what it means, and, and I know some of you have grown up in really, really difficult kinds of homes. Even the word father is hard for you because your father was abusive, and you don't know that. But I am here to tell you, you have a father that loves you and your heavenly father and carries so much for you. Family is God's plan. It's a reflection of him. God exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even in the Godhead, you have this family, this community kind of thing. And it's all about what he wants to do. And, and interestingly enough, when God decided to come to earth in Jesus Christ, he came in a family. Mary and Joseph, they weren't particularly powerful or influential or well-known or, or rich. 
but they were a family. And there's a statement in that about how important that is. And this is why family and, and, and small groups and life groups are so important to us. That we be connected to one another. That we love one another. In fact, I'm just going to share a fantasy because no one has come to me with this lately. But, but just a pastoral fantasy. Sometimes people will come to me and say to me, well, you know, I, I, the people in my life group, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I really like them, you know, and we're kind of not getting along. I want to say, I always say, oh, well, maybe we can work something out. You know what I really want to say? Good, you're growing spiritually. Learn to love them. Because that's what family's about. Amen? Okay. And so um, the whole Christian story can be summed up like this. The loving father has set out to heal and restore his broken family. That's the whole story. He came on a mission to, to bring us back to them. In fact, for those of you that, that, that find yourself in a place where maybe some of your children are far from God or there's brokenness, I want you to know that God was the first parent with rebellious children and a resulting broken family. In fact, I think in some ways you have insight into the love of God. You have insight into what it is to love when they reject you, when they fall away from you, when, when, when things are going wrong, when it's hard and it's difficult. You love like God does. You understand that love can be painful. Amen? In fact, I have a friend who likes to say, grief is the price of love. Grief is awful. Grief is overwhelming. And the only way you avoid it is if you never love anybody ain't worth it it's not we love people and, and, and the difficulty with that is things go wrong we live in a bro broken fallen world have you noticed there's so much sickness and fighting and anger and war and and it's so hard for us and and so just like you and I would do anything to rescue our children God wanted to rescue us and so he sent Jesus to rescue those that are, that are you here. You, you've known that. You've experienced it. You have life in Christ. But outside the walls of this church, there are so many people who are living in brokenness and suffering and struggle and far from God. And they don't know if anybody loves them. And that breaks my heart. You see, I believe that sinners are not the enemy. They are family, dearly loved, but estranged right? And it's time to call him home. That's what the Christmas message is. Jesus wept over lost people. He wept over Jerusalem. He didn't reject them because they were sinners. He wanted to bring them back. He gave his life for lost people. How many of you, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you already have experienced this. And you know what Jesus said about you? I did not come for the healthy, but for the sick. Isn't that challenging? We, we exist to, to perpetuate the message of Jesus. Jesus didn't come for the well. He came for those who are far from him. In fact, being a sinner is a prerequisite to becoming a follower of Jesus. I, I've read that a while back, and that has just really stuck with me. Because so many people say, well, if I can get my life cleaned up and I'll get it together, maybe I'll come to church. You know, I want, no, 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 you don't understand. Being a sinner is kind of the point. Amen? That's, that's what we're all about. So I want to kind of talk real quickly here about kind of how love works in our lives as followers of Jesus on this Sunday when we celebrate uh, love. Number one, uh, love is our only weapon. The Bible does not say they will know we are Christians because of our political party. It doesn't say they will know we are Christians because of our beautiful buildings. 
They will know we are Christians because we're really articulate with the four spiritual laws. They will not know we are, they will know we are Christians because our music is so good. They will know we are Christians because the preacher is so good. Man, I wish that one were true. Of course, I may not be good enough, so there may never is. They will know we are Christians because we're wealthy. They will know we are Christians because fill in the blank. They will know we are Christians because of our love. Because we love one another. It's the only weapon. The only way to win people to Christ is through love. In fact, a, 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 a leader of leaders said this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That has really stuck with me over the years. People don't, know how, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. There is a tendency in the evangelical church to start by trying to impress people with how much we know. You're a sinner, and let me tell you why. You're in the wrong political party, let me tell you why. What you're doing is wrong, let me tell you why. They won't listen until they know you love them. And when you know they know that they know that they know that you love them, they're open to what you have to say. Win them with love, not logic. Okay? Logic will come along, but win them with love. Love people more. And then love, love is our motor, motivator. Everything we do, we should do out of love. And, and can I honestly tell you, when you really get the love part right, a bunch of the other stuff gets, gets easier. It is really hard to be hard and angry and judgmental of someone you truly, truly love. Because that's just, that's just not a part of it. And when we really, really love, then the rest of it begins to fall into place. And, and, and we can stop gritting our teeth. You, you know what gritting your teeth love is? I, I learned this when I was in the, the business world. I had days where I walked around work going, I love my job, I love my job, I love my job, I love my job. Evidently, some of you have had that experience as well, right? And sometimes we do, I love my neighbor, I love my neighbor, I love my neighbor. And I just pray that God would break our hearts and cause us to truly love them. Because when you truly love someone, you don't grit your teeth. It breaks your heart what they're doing, but you don't grit your teeth. What is not of love is not of God. And then love is our method. It dictates what we do. It dictates our approach. It dictates how we come at them. Love our neighbor as ourself. Well, you, you read that in scripture, he, Jesus was saying, what are the greatest commandments? Love God with your whole being, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and in, our, in our modern era, the words to love yourself is kind of taken on this psychological, kind of pop psychology sort of thing. So we misunderstand. Actually, what that meant would be to love your neighbor as family, you know, to, as yourself, as the one. They didn't think of themselves as individuals as much as a part of a family. And so it is love your neighbor like family. If you would do it for family, do it for, for them. Uh, care about them. Kill them with kindness is what, what my dad used to say. And when you really get this right and you're, you're in, a, in a group that really loves one another, and it, it, it works out in all kinds of ways. You can, you can do all kinds of things you wouldn't normally do for them. I've told you before, the very first life group that Jody and I were in was way back in the 80s before life groups were popular, and, and we became really close friends with these people, and my really best friend at the time, Jeff, one time at, at like 10 o'clock at night, they delivered three quart of wood right in front of his garage door, and he had to go to work in the morning, and so he was calling all of us up in the life group saying, I gotta go to work, you know, it's like 10.30, it's like, I'm in bed at 10.30 and been asleep for a while, Right? And one of the very few times I have ever gotten out of bed at 10.30 was to go help my friend move several cords of wood so he could get his car out. 
and go. You know, he thought what he needed was the cordwood moved. What he really needed and what he relied on was a group of people that loved him enough to get out of bed and go on. Now, we held it over his head for a long time, okay? But <laughs> love is our method. And then uh, love, uh, love is our defense. Can we get the next slide there? Um, our, our response, this is maybe the hardest part. Our response when attacked is to love people more. That's what the gospel teaches. It says crazy stuff like, love your enemies. Love your enemies. I just love it how the church just resonates with amens when I say, love your enemies. Love your enemies. It says, do crazy stuff like, turn the other cheek. I, I like to give surveys and you raise your hands, but I'm not going to do that. I, I like to say, how many of you have ever really truly turned the other cheek? Yeah, a little conviction. Pastor, this is a sermon on love. It's supposed to be fun. Not always. Not always. It says, bless those that curse you. Do good to those that, that, that persecute you. I really truly believed if the Christian church in America took that seriously, our buildings would be packed. Because people go, those folks are different than anything else. Love is our defense. And then ultimately, um, next slide. Love is life. He said, I came to give them life and that more abundantly. I came to give them life and that more abundantly. Somebody say amen. amen. Yes, God has given you abundant life. This life where you love people and you are loved by people. You guys don't know how good you had it unless you lived a life as an unbeliever and an adult before. Those of you that grew up in the church, we forget how good we have. I have never known a time when I didn't know lots of people that I loved and lots of people that loved me. That's an amazing sort of thing. It is life. And, and it's so important that you get that this love is life. Love is not biology, okay? Life is not biology. One day your biology is going to come to an end. Again, great amens all around the thing. <laughs> but as someone who's faced it, let me say this. Sooner or later, everybody gets a bad diagnosis sooner or later. And the life that lives beyond that is the life we have in Christ. Love is life. Work to live. Don't live to work, guys. Okay? What we, um, we do what we do so that we can have life with the people we love. And just at the end, at the end of life, no one ever says, I wish I'd worked more. Lots of people say, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. Love is life. And then ultimately, what I said before, uh, next slide, love is the only thing that really matters. Amen? And this whole story is about this. It comes to a baby. And, and, and it's the thing that will last ever after everything else is done. So ultimately, I want to say to you, next slide, uh, let God's love in, then let God's love out. If you're here this morning and you have never let God's love into your life, I want to challenge you this morning to let his love in. To open your heart to what he has for you. He has promised to give you life and that more abundantly. He's not talking about biological life. He's talking about this amazing thing where the God of the universe loves you and you love him. It'll change your perspective on everything and there's no greater than time than at this Christmas season. The loving father is waiting for you to come home to be a part. And then let love out. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you go love somebody this Christmas season? 
Somebody that's not being loved. Let them, let them know that he is here for them. That, that he came to end the suffering because he loved them. There's so much of this story out there of a God who is judgmental. A God who is worried about being right. A God who's worried about all these other things. And that's not what it says. God is right all the time. But first and foremost, God is love. And God loves you more than you love your children. Amen? Amen. Well, we are going to celebrate that. If our musicians would come, uh, we're kind of getting here. Next slide. We're going to celebrate this Christmas Eve. I do want to remind you uh, that, that it starts at 4 and 5.30. I hope you'll come and be a part. We're going to sing lots of Christmas carols. Uh, we're going to tell the story uh, of Christmas, and we are going to light the Christ candle. Uh, how many of you ever seen the, the, the Christ candle lighting when we kind of move it and then we pass it all around? If you have not been a part of that, you will love it. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We, uh, we light the Christ candle, shut out all the Christ all the other ones, we make you get in a big circle, and we give you candles. It's the only time we let children play with fire, okay? And only with adult supervision, okay? We had a staff member whose daughter lit her hair on fire one year. That was exciting. Um, <laughs> so don't let your kids hit, let's set their hair on fire. Turn out, it's pitch black, there's only the Christ candle, and then I take the light and I pass it to my left, and I say, Jesus is the light of the world. And then they pass it to the next person, Jesus is the light of the world, and I pass it the other direction. And it starts to pass, and because there's usually so many people here, we have to send out missionaries to the deep, dark places of our sanctuary to start the light. But at the end, it's filled with the light and the love of Christ. You will want to be here and be a part of it.